Okay. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. So I'll be reading from Revelation uh, 21, verses 1 through 11 and 22 through 27, which is found on page 259 in the um, New Testament of the Pew Bible. Okay. The new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It has the glory of God and its radiance, a radiance like a very jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay. Okay. This Tuesday, now it's on. This Tuesday morning, uh, I'm going to be having breakfast with N.T. Wright, a former uh, bishop of the Anglican Church. I will be doing that breakfast with a number of other pastors. It's an invitation to pastors in the area to come and have breakfast with N.T. Wright. You may not know who N.T. Wright is. He's one of the foremost Bible scholars in the world, has written a number of books, and we did a Bible study of one of his books on death and resurrection just a few years ago. And uh, I know some of you were in that class. And one of the things that N.T. Wright in that book, in that study, uh, brings out is the absolute uh, uh, lack of understanding around death and resurrection and the afterlife among Christians. 
Most of our knowledge comes out of media, out of the popular media. Uh, I asked you earlier if you had any questions you wanted to give me about heaven, I would be happy to answer them. But I'm, I'm just going to throw out the one that I began with, the uh, floating on the clouds and playing the harps thing. Uh, that goes right along with that we will be turned into angels. In heaven, we will be angels. All these things are false. There's nothing in the Bible that says that heaven is a place uh, that consists of clouds and vapors and that we're just floating on them or that we play harps. Angels play harps. We don't play harps. We play guitars, you know, uh, maybe a little piano. But but there is a huge difference between the popular conceptions. And some of this, uh, without going deep into this, is a problem back with Greek philosophy and Plato. You can blame him. Because the Greeks had ideas about the soul and the body, and some of those ideas seeped into the Christian thought. Some of the earliest heresies were around the fact that uh, the belief that, that the body was evil, the Greek idea that the highest realms were of the spirit. And therefore, they began to think, well, Heaven then cannot be a physical place because the physical is less than the spiritual. If heaven is, is truly the highest idea, it can only be spiritual. And Christians began to think around that. And that's where we see this idea that we're kind of almost ghost-like in heaven, that, that we can float around, that uh, it's uh, just a soul but not a physical body. In actuality, the opposite is true. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, takes you on a trip with a number of people who are heading toward heaven, and it's on a bus. Imagine a bus, an old-time British bus like you see on the streets of London, and they're all heading up towards heaven. But as they go along on this journey toward heaven, some of them are getting a little nervous and antsy because the surroundings, as they're looking out of the bus, are too real. If you can conceive of something that's more real than real that heaven was more solidly physical than anything we experience, that it was overwhelming them and they want to get off the bus. And the idea here of C.S. Lewis was that people who end up not in heaven are the people who did, could not stand to be in heaven. They were the people who were so disconnected from God and his ways that in their lives that they had no affinity for heaven. And it's a, it's a brilliant book and a brilliant way to look at it, but it's that idea that heaven is actually more real than what we're experiencing now, real to a point that we can't even imagine or measure it. That's some of what you see in, the, in Revelation as it was just read there. The, the descriptions in Revelation are so over the top of what heaven is like because in having that vision, John didn't know exactly how to describe it. And we we have come up with all kinds of ways to diminish that vision. The key thing here about heaven that I would have you understand this morning is that I believe, and, and this is the traditional Orthodox, Protestant, Catholic belief, although there are some churches out there that believe in uh, something called soul sleep, but I believe that when you die, you are immediately in the presence of God if you are uh, faith, have been faithful to Jesus Christ. I believe that. You will be immediately in the presence of God. Now, somehow you are in some state that is not your ultimate state because we know the Scriptures teach us that when Christ appears, then we shall be like him, and the dead in Christ will rise to be with Christ in heaven. It's in in, in, uh, Paul's epistles to the Thessalonians. 
So there is this in-between state for those who are with God now. There is a state of, of existence and reality that does not include uh, the final reality. That will come at the, on the day of resurrection when all the dead in Christ rise. And to put it very clumsily, when the body and the soul are reunited fully. Uh, we can see a little bit of this in the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus was resurrected, remember he, he talked about this body has not yet risen. So he, he has them touch it to see the wounds, to see it's a physical body, but it's also a body that they don't immediately recognize Jesus in until they look deeply. It's, it's, it's more... Uh, a sense that Jesus is there, and yet he has somehow changed. And that's what I believe happens to us in heaven. Everything that makes you who you are is there, yet it is different and changed. And then in the resurrection, the great day of, of resurrection, all is fulfilled, and we become fully who we are to be, as the scriptures say, in that day, when we see him, we shall become like him. And I say that in every single funeral that I do including this past uh, Wednesday for Benny. In that day, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. That is so different from the idea. Here's the typical portrait of heaven that we have. Okay, you die, your body's laying there, spirit kind of floats up into the sky. You appear at the pearly gate. St. Peter is there. He has a book. He checks to see if your name is in it. If not, he says, you'll have to take that bus over there. It's heading down. You know, there's, there's kind of a test there at the gate. Uh, sometimes in some, uh, in, in some uh, variances of this in the movies, the person may not be in the book, but they say it must be a mistake. And then Peter says, well, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to send you back to inhabit somebody's body on earth. You know, heaven can wait is a movie like that. You know, so we have all these different variations but here's what none of them have. None of them have what was just in Revelation, what was just uh, read for us. Um, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, it goes on. If we go through Revelation, the vision is that heaven and earth come together, and all is fulfill, fulfilled. And in chapter 21, Eden is restored. And the simplest way I can come up with to just give us an overview of the Bible is the, over, over, the overview of the Bible is paradise or heaven lost. Eden was like heaven. It was paradise. But sin entered in, and they were driven from Eden. And if you go through the Bible, the whole entire Bible, through the people of Israel, through Jesus coming into the world, through the establishment of the church, everything is heading toward a restoration of Eden. God's ultimate goal is to restore what was first there. And in fact, uh, Jesus, Paul refers to him as being the first fruits of the harvest of God. He is the first to be resurrected and, 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 and taken into heaven, awaiting that great day when he shall appear and when heaven and earth shall be one. And then it goes on to say that he will be our God and he will be with us. So this idea that somehow earth is 
no more, which we have a hymn, a famous hymn that says that. In actuality, this earth will be no more, but a, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and it will be physical. He talks about, I was taken upon a mountain. Okay, so this is an, a, a physical, fully fulfilled idea of what God had intended for this earth to be and for you and I to be. Now, that's a far leap away from what we think. And in actuality, uh, the, the very idea that, uh, okay, he died and now he's with God forever ever in heaven is a huge oversimplification that leaves out all of this, that what's going to transpire. Our hope is, is in that day when Christ appears, we shall be like him, and heaven and earth, a new heaven and earth, are brought forth. And it goes on to say, That there is the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ. And then he says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. That is also the central point of everything. Is that in the end, in heaven, very often in the movies and TV shows, you never even hear God mentioned. They're all walking around, doing their thing, trying to get back to earth if they can to have a little more time to make things right. Where's God? You know, one of the few TV shows that actually portrays heaven with God was The Simpsons, which I know is not every Christian's favorite show in the world, but they would show the hand of God coming down at times. Homer would be there in their portrayals, which is, includes the clouds and the harps. But God had, how did you know it was God's hand? He had six fingers. <laughs> he was superior to us. He had six, that's how they portrayed it. But... In actuality, heaven is, is far different from that. And heaven and earth in that final day will be our resting place. Uh, when I say resting place, I don't, I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And this would be a good question. Somebody in a minute asked, are we going to work in heaven? But uh, in that day, it says there's no need for the temple because God and Jesus Christ are the temple. They're the objects of worship. And that's the thing that's missing in these shows very often is God doesn't even seem to be around. But on that day when we are in our eternal home, God and Jesus will be the center of everything, the center of worship, as it should be now. What we do now is a, is a poor shadowy reflection of what will be then. We sing, we worship to God, but then God will be present with us in a way that we, uh, the joy in our worship will be uh, unsurpassable. Now, any questions? I promise you, you could ask a question. Any questions about that? I, I hope, I don't know if that blew your mind or bored you, what I was just saying, but the fact of the matter is that uh, heaven and its portrayal is far different in Scripture than what it is in most of our minds as we slip into these portrayals of the media and so forth. Any questions? I just asked about work. Yes, Charlie. Yeah, that's, that's the difference where some people believe that the soul is asleep, which doesn't really matter because when you are, the soul is sleeping, there's no sense of time. So when you die, your soul sleeps, and, and 
it's marked in our sense of time, but in the sense of the person who dies, the first thing that they know after they die is the presence of God, their presence in, in heaven. That is a minority view. The, the majority view is that the soul is immediately goes to heaven and that one day God will, in the resurrection, that our bodies, our resurrection bodies, uh, will be given to us. But that in the meantime, we are present with God in a way that we are aware of. I know it's a little bit out there to think about, but that seems to be what the scriptures are telling us. Any, anyone else? Yep, Danny. Yes, there's no indication. I mean, there are some places in scripture where it appears that, uh, uh, for instance, uh, in, in Jesus and uh, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, uh, the Lazarus is aware of the rich man. He knows him and so forth. But there are a few places in Scripture where it appears that, yes, we will recognize each other and know each other. Certainly, we will recognize Jesus and know Jesus. I don't know why we wouldn't know the others around us. And also, that creates a heaven where our individuality has been kind of, our memories have been wiped clean like a disk. You know, you take the hard drive and you just wipe it clean and a huge part of who we are is what we experience on this earth and the people we experience it with. So, yes, I think, Danny, I just realized you were hoping that you wouldn't know me. Okay, okay. <laughs> I see what's behind that question. Yeah. But I will know you. I will know you. Okay. But it'll all be good. It'll all be good. Everything will be good. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, there, I could ask more specific questions like, you know, you're dying and there's not water available to baptize you. Would you, you know, this is, this is actually how sprinkling uh, the, uh, began because you had people on their deathbed who confessed faith in Jesus Christ or there wasn't a place where water was available for immersion so they would sprinkle. It was an emergency type thing and then that's how that came in. That's a little bit off point. Uh, and I'm avoiding your question, but uh, the church I grew up in, absolutely no. You would not go to heaven if you had not been baptized. That's why the day I was baptized, I ran up the aisle to get in there as quick as I could because I was afraid Jesus might come back and I, I would have just missed it, you know, which on its face really doesn't make sense in terms of the Bible. But uh, God's grace extends to all. We can know this, that whatever judgment God makes about people, the first thing we know is that everybody, whether or not they heard the gospel that they had an opportunity in some way to acknowledge God. In, in Romans, uh, Paul talks about how even those who have not heard the word, nature has witnessed to them the existence of God, that there is some way that God will deal with that person in a way that they have had a fair opportunity to know him and to accept his will and to live according to his will in their lives and their circumstances. So I would say the same thing if somebody has accepted Christ. Now, Let's say that this person accepted Christ, put their faith in him, but said, but you know what? I'm just not, I'm not going to do that baptism thing. I don't want to get my hair wet. I don't want to, God's going to judge on that, okay? He's, he's going to have an opportunity. As, so it, it, it just sort of depends on the attitudes and the faith and the willingness of the person to surrender to God and whether or not not being baptized was a reflection of, of a disobedient heart or simply not having an understanding or an opportunity. So that's that's what I would say. Yep. 
Right. The thief on the cross. Right. Jesus promised him a place in paradise, but he had not been baptized. Now, the church I went to when I was a kid, here was their answer. The new covenant, where baptism is required, was not in effect until after Jesus died, and this was slightly before he died, so he was still under the old covenant. They had this whole thing worked out on this and all. So you can see how this... We as human beings are really great at finding loopholes and all sorts of things, uh, even in the Bible. But I think uh, a big thing with me about heaven is we need to start in Genesis, not Revelation. And we need to see the whole panorama of what God is doing and where he's moving. And the Old Testament is filled with prophecies of God one day restoring this earth. And Revelation is a reflection of that. Whereas most of us think, you know, once we die, earth is just, we're not, you know, we're not going to be here anymore. Uh, And and the other thing I'll say, the emphasis on Jesus being the very, uh, at the very center of heaven and our worship and everything. Think about the, uh, I mentioned a Lazarus the other day, uh, part of that story of the rich man Lazarus. And and this is probably a good place to end and to say we, we need to have a Bible study on this to explore it more. Or maybe I need to do another sermon. Lazarus who died and Jesus comes and it's the place in John where it's the shortest verse uh, in the Bible where it says Jesus wept because of his friend. Uh, and, and we know that Jesus wept not because of a lack of hope for Lazarus but because he saw the grief and the hurt of the family and everyone around him. And, that, uh, and Jesus had intentionally not, he had slowed down the trip there so that Lazarus would die. So then he could demonstrate who he was, that he was the Lord of the resurrection, that Jesus had the power to give life. So he brings Lazarus back. Now, let's say that Lazarus had been in heaven experiencing all the joy, the utter disreality. I mean, just it's, it's beyond imagining. And Jesus yanks him back into this life. Why in the world was Lazarus not angry? You know, Jesus, I've died once. Now I'm going to have to die another time. And it wasn't pleasant. And it was far better there than it is here. Why did you do it? It doesn't indicate any of that. It doesn't indicate any of that. So maybe it's because he was in heaven without Jesus. And maybe wherever Jesus is, is heaven. And maybe seeing Jesus and being with Jesus was as good as being in heaven for Lazarus. And I just use that to say, in the end, if your heart is not focused upon Jesus Christ in this life, then it's not going to have the focus it needs to appreciate all that is in heaven. Um, any, other, any other questions? Yes, Carol. No, nothing addresses that. And in actuality, I always find that an interesting question is if people who believe that people who are cremated uh, intentionally after death, that somehow they are the only ones in this world who have ever had their bodies uh, uh, turned to ashes. Obviously, people who are killed in fires, you know, involuntarily, so forth. So you would, if, if, if you could, if cremation meant that your, your resurrection body could not be recreated, uh, that that would create a, a really weird thing where anybody in this life whose body had deteriorated, uh, people who had drowned at sea, the body deteriorates over time, 
there's nothing visible that we can really see left of the remains. Well, sorry, you know, you don't get into heaven, you don't get a body. Here's what I think, and th- and this is what makes the age that we live in such a such a neat age. We have these supercomputers around. I mean, compared to what we had 50 years ago, 40 years, whatever. I mean, it's unbelievable. Now, God is omnipotent. He knows all things. I think God is the ultimate computer. Uh, we know about DNA. We know things that people didn't know 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and yet they had faith. But we know that God, uh, you know, we have hospitals and doctors and places that, that have on file people's DNA. You know, Ancestry.com, spitting this, and we'll tell you who your ancestors were. Well, certainly God can keep track of all this, and if God knows your DNA, certainly out from that DNA, he can, re, he can create for you that resurrection body. I've thoroughly thought about this because uh, I know some people may be surprised, but I've thought seriously about cremation for the very weird reason that I'm so claustrophobic. I, you know, I'd rather be scattered <laughs> and all too, and I know that's, that's illogical, but... Uh, uh, talk to me later. I get a 10% commission on cremations at the funeral home. Okay. Yeah, and then we're going to have to end here with this, but uh, because unfortunately, we still are under earth time. In eternity, I, I'm going to love eternity. I can just nonstop preach, yeah. What's that? Donating your body to science, I think, is a wonderful thing, and God will reward you for it. So I see... Uh, I see nothing. I mean, the cremation answer kind of goes there too, and all. So, uh, I, you know, if there's not a biblical basis for something, then I think we have to allow liberty for it to say that this is an area that, that for some reason, God didn't think it was important enough to say, here, you, you know, you cannot do this. But there's nothing there about cremation or the other. Now, I know somebody's going to find a scripture and bring it up to me, but uh, uh, somehow after this, but. Uh, uh, I have not been able to find, and I've pretty researched that pretty thoroughly because of my own feelings on it. Okay. Was there any other one burning, <laughs> uh, not burning question, because uh, we're not talking about hell today, uh, but <laughs> one other question that's really on your mind. Yeah. Does everybody, yeah, that interesting question for another t- day. I, I, I'm going to, I haven't done this since I've been here. I don't think I've ever had a question and answer sermon, but uh, it's more like teaching a class where you have questions back and forth. But, uh, you know, there's an interesting book came out a couple years ago, a neuro, neurosurgeon who saw that light and everything that they had determined, he was absolutely dead. And uh, there's been, there's a lot on the web about it. He wrote a book about it. There's been interviews with him about this, but uh, he, uh, one of the proofs he has for this is when he came back, he talked about uh, a young woman uh, meeting him and talking to him, and she gave him some advice about loving and everything, and then he came back about loving others, and then he came back. Well, he gave a description of the woman who he saw. He was, I believe, separated at birth from a sister. And later on, through a very unrelated thing, he finds this sister, and it's the woman who met him there. Uh, I mean, he finds a record of this sister, but she had died, and he sees pictures of her. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty convincing thing that there's something after. And, of course, there's a scientist who will come up, try to come up with all kinds of explanations, but he's defended it pretty well. 
So uh, I, I can't remember the name of the book, but if anybody's interested on that. And I'm not saying that's necessarily, um, uh, if it's true or not, whether that's a, 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 a proof of heaven. But we all know that there's been movies about this kind of afterlife experience, near-death experiences and things, too, that seem to indicate that uh, even after death, there is something uh, going on. So uh, anyways, in, any, other, any other questions? Time's running out. You're all looking at your watches. Okay. What's that? Yep. That's right. One of the best things is going to be seeing the people we knew here on earth and being with them. But I'm going to say this. We all say we have Jesus in the heart, but we really haven't met Jesus the way we're going to meet him up there. And I think that uh, when we have our little parties with the friends that we had here on earth, I think the first one we're going to invite is Jesus to be there at that party. I just uh, I, I can't wait wait for that time. Okay. Well, uh, I believe that's uh, uh, far more than all the time that we have. I had written this down, and as she's coming up to the piano, and we'll sing just uh, one verse uh, of, uh, let me see, I had it. Okay. But I came across this the other day, and it says, A person may go to heaven without health, without wealth, without fame, without name, without learning, without earnings, without culture, without beauty, without friends, and without a thousand other things. But a person cannot go to heaven without Christ. Just want to leave that with you, that uh, that, that is the one non-negotiable for heaven is did you know Christ in some way, whatever God's grace extends to you, did you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior? And did, and did that decision, that recognition, recognition of him as your Savior, did it change your life? So I'm going to just uh, uh, issue that invitation to anyone this morning who feels that they uh, have not really met Jesus Christ in their life, that they have all these other things, they have many other things in their life, but Christ has not been central in their life uh, to give their lives to Christ this morning. And this can be something where you can come forward during the song or talk to me later on and we can talk about that decision. But I just want to leave you with that invitation this morning. Go in God's peace and may we all, uh, with great expectation and joy, await the coming of Jesus on that great day of resurrection. And amen.